A Night at the Opera. It's more than a classic Marx Brothers film. It's the second career of our guest today. When illness strikes at the Met, he makes his entrance on stage. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Anthony Yan, the New York Metropolitan Opera Volunteer Medical Director and also an ENT surgeon in New York. I'm going to talk to him today. Welcome, Tony. Hello there. Uh, tell us about your two careers. You have a private practice, correct? Yes. And where is your private practice? My private practice is in uh, New York on West 59th Street, which Incidentally, it's two blocks from the Met, and I have another office in Englewood, New Jersey. Now, how do the practices differ in, in between that and your practices in your opera practice? Well, my practice in Manhattan focuses on singers to a large extent. My second interest is, is otology, so I do a lot of ear surgery. But the voice patients I see typically come from the, from the two opera companies. I see people from Broadway. I consult to a number of music schools, and that's, that's what I do there in New Jersey, of course, I, I do some generally ENT sinus surgery, ear surgery, as well as the voice. Do your general patients know that you're treating singers and opera stars? Well, some of them do. You know, I'm always surprised how many people check you out online before they come to see you. And some of this is on my website, which is www.operadoctor.com. So they do know. And in fact, a number of young singers come to me because they know that I've I have an interest in the voice. See, I would make appointments all the time so I could just hang out in the waiting room with famous people. I think uh, that would be well, fun. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not all famous people. You know, for, for each time you see a famous person, you see probably 100 young singers who are trying to pay for voice lessons and waitressing part-time, and it's, you know, it's not an easy profession. Do you find that you have to give a lot of them economic breaks? Because I know I've treated a lot of dancers in Chicago, and they, most of them have no insurance, and I, and I have to treat them for next to nothing. Well, I do that, but, you know, I think you need to charge something because people somehow equate quality of treatment with, with what you pay. I, I, I don't like the idea of overcharging people for whom it's a hardship, but I think you need to charge them something. No, I, I, I agree. You're absolutely right. Now, are there any tricks that you have to get an ailing singer performing? Um, I know that some of them use steroids, but if you're not, you don't want to use steroids. Like doing radio shows, for instance, there's an old trick that we have that if, you're, if you have a cold, you can use a neti pot and salt water to get 20 to 30 minutes of clear voice in the middle of, the middle of your cold. Anything special, any tricks that you do for performers? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of that, and, and it's very funny because I've been advocating the neti pot for probably about 15 years, and of course, since it finally made its appearance on the Oprah show six months ago, now it's out there. I'm a big fan of nasal irrigation because a lot of vocal problems come from post-nasal drip. But I would just say to you, before we talk about treatment, that, that one very important aspect of treating singers is to make the correct diagnosis. You know, the thing that most people want is the magic potion and the magic pill and the magic shot, but you need different treatments for different problems. If you have somebody who is hoarse just because of nerves, these patients do very well with acupuncture. If people have stage fright, sometimes you can give them some Enderol, which calms them down a little bit, although it does take the edge off the performance. Normally, to give somebody a shot of cortisone, uh, you know, uh, an hour before a show is really pointless. I do recommend inhalations. I do recommend nebulizing, sometimes just some saline, you know, just to moisten the cords. And, and really, I, I think a big part of it is just to be there. And, and I, I have, on many occasions, gone backstage to the dressing room before the show and just sat there and, and explained things and, and treated them, physically treated them, and I think that makes a big difference. Oh, I think it's a pretty holistic practice. That's great. Um, what, let me ask you a question. What about GERD? Is it a common cause of hoarseness in, in singers or in, in all of us? 
Well, you know, GERD is the flavor du jour. If you go back 10 years, most people didn't know what GERD was. I think that, that, that GERD is the disease of our times for many reasons. First of all, people are often overweight. They don't eat properly. They go to bed too soon. They're under stress. Having said that, it's my experience that most singers who are hoarse aren't hoarse from GERD. And again, this is the diagnosis that, that physicians often make when they're not quite sure what's going on. I know a lot of singers who sing perfectly well with GERD, I also know many singers who can't sing very well, and they don't have GERD. So the two are not necessarily tightly linked, although there is an overlap. My treatment for GERD would be, first of all, to take a good history and to get some, some of the features that would predispose to GERD, although not every GERD patient is, is, is overweight. Then I would treat them for the GERD, and, and, and there are you know, a variety of treatments. Again, you have some of the holistic things you can use, too, and treat them for a month and see what uh, happens. But if after good aggressive GERD treatment, say with a proton pump inhibitor plus an antacid over a month, doesn't improve the voice, then I probably put that diagnosis on the back burner and try and look for another cause. All right. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Anthony Yan, an ENT surgeon in New York, who is the medical director of the Metropolitan Opera. Tony, let's talk about your second career here. And you got involved because you have a background in music, I understand? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm, uh, I started off my life as a pianist in Toronto. My parents were both professional musicians from Hungary, and they were actually quite well known in, in Budapest as professional performers, and my dad was also a composer and a conductor, and then in Toronto they ran a big music school, and so I, I grew up with music. I had music lessons all my life. I was a student at the Royal Conservatory of Toronto, and uh, that was really a potential career choice for me in high school, and, and I stuck with that to a certain degree. I married my wonderful wife, who was a professional cellist, so we have worked our way through most of the, most of the piano channel repertoire by now after 37 years of marriage, and, and my kids are also playing instruments, and that's really been the big avocation in my life is music. Did your folks want you to be a musician rather than a doctor? Actually, my folks wanted me to be anything but a musician. Uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my dad and I had a conversation when I was in grade 11, when I was a scholarship student at the Conservatory in Toronto, and he said to me, look, I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your life, but I will tell you what you cannot do. You cannot go into music. And he said, but since, since I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm telling you what to do, I will give you three options, which are law, medicine, and architecture. And I, I was a good biology student, and I just drifted into medicine, which turned out to be a perfect synthesis for me of the music and the, the science and medicine. How about your children? What do they do? Are they any of them doctors? Yeah, my daughter just finished medical school this year. And she is a very fine violist. She was the principal violist of the New York Youth Orchestra, and she also was principal violist at Columbia when she was a student there. And she will hopefully follow me into into ENT. Well, that's great. Let's let's talk about these two careers here. It's interesting because if Medicare keeps cutting our fees, it might get more money as a violist than a doctor eventually. <laughs> well, but, I doubt but, it. But there there's so many of our listeners who are medical professionals with a second talent or passion like you have. Can you tell us how you got started? I know it was probably through a connection, but, but can you give us some tips as to how our listeners should pursue or incorporate their second talent into their medical lives? And, and is it worth it? Well, I think it is really more than worth it. It gives you, you know, it's your salvation because it not only gives you something to retreat to after you finish with your office, but it also enriches your practice. You know, I'll spend a lot of extra time with patients discussing music, you know, especially, of course, opera, and, and it just really 
it, it, it just really leavens your life on a daily basis. But I think that if you have a, a true avocation, artistic avocation, you should definitely try and bring it into your career. Uh, I've known you know, plastic surgeons who sculpt, and I've known ENT doctors who sing, and, and it's just a, a wonderful thing to do. And the other part of it is that you get to meet people uh, outside of your normal professional circle. Uh, I don't play golf, and this is my cultural circle, are musicians and performers. And finally, when time comes to slow down, it gives you something to spend more time at, which you've loved all of your life. It's not something new that you've just picked up to, to structure your time. So I would strongly advocate all of your listeners to look very carefully at what their second professional choice would have been. And if it was something artistic, try and, try and put time into that and to, and to let that enrich their life. And even if it's volunteering, yours is a volunteer job, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. But you get free seats for the operas though, right? Yes. <laughs> Besides getting free seats and meeting all your artistic heroes and heroines, I guess the benefits you get are more emotional and spiritual, correct? Absolutely right. And I'm going to ask you an off-the-wall question now. This is kind of funny. Um, when you're in the theater or in the opera, um, have you ever had to contend, I was just thinking about this, with doctors or non-doctors in the audience having taken charge of another audience member's become ill. For instance, you know, somebody collapses with an MI and you find yourself surrounded by a bunch of other people. How do you break through? Do you say, hi, I'm the, uh, I'm, I'm the theater doctor here. Let me in. Yes, basically I do. But look, if somebody has had a serious incident, and, and we've had patients who have had, you know, cardiac events and things, if there's another physician there who is clearly taking charge, I, I, I don't push them out of the way. I, I like to be there because that's my job to be there. But, you know, the bottom line is we have to get the patients well and, and get them to the hospital or to their uh, their primary doctor. Now, I understand that a lot of performers are very interested, and you are also, in non-traditional medicine. Can you talk about that for our listeners? Performers are artists, and they're very in tune with their body, and they're in tune with their perceptions and their, and, and their physical sensations. And as we had said before, they are very open also to effects, some placebo and some not, which are not really quantifiable, but nonetheless they work. And, and, you know, I sometimes think about treating singers as the ultimate, you know, outcomes measure. I mean, the bottom line is, can that person perform? If they can't perform, it doesn't make any difference what tests you've ordered, what medications you've given. So you have to do whatever you can, safely, of course, to get that patient, that singer to be performing and to feel good. They do like alternative medicine. I, I have a big personal interest in acupuncture. I, I trained in acupuncture here in New York and also in China. And I use a lot of acupuncture in my patients. The whole philosophy of Chinese medicine is more like the singer's philosophy of singing than Western medicine. The, the philosophy of Chinese medicine is that the body can heal itself, can fend off ills and the insults as long as you support it. So the focus in, in traditional Chinese medicine is not on treating the disease, it's on treating the patient and on helping the patient get better. And this is something that is very, very sympathetic to singers. So I have a big interest in this and patients really enjoy it. Uh, it also gives me something to do when a patient has seen three other physicians with a trivial symptom, post-nasal drip, let's say, and they've had their antihistamine and their decongestants and their guaifenesin and this and that, neti pot, and they're not better. And now they come to me and I can put one needle into one specific spot in the ear and they feel the nasal pharynx opening up. It just empowers me as a healer, but it also empowers them because it really vindicates the symptom, the reality of the symptom that a lot of other doctors may not have taken seriously. Well, I think that makes sense because true art comes from the heart, from the whole person, not just from a vocal cords that are vibrating. Absolutely. So I think that the treatment should come that way too. All right, what's your favorite opera? 
<laughs> that's, a, that's a bad question. I know. That's why I, I asked it at the end I have, here. I have a lot of favorites. Of course, my very favorite probably is The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. I love the Eugene Onegin, which is by Tchaikovsky. And, and then, of course, the entire canon of Puccini and Verdi. I love uh, Richard Strauss. All right. Well, speaking of time and place and art, thank you for doing what you do to help keep the arts going in New York, and we totally appreciate that. Uh, Tony, thanks for being our guest today and speaking with us about your second career as the volunteer medical director of the Metropolitan Opera and encouraging our listeners to get involved with their passions in the arts, too. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where our newly redecorated website, with its on-demand and podcast features, will allow you to access our entire program library and listen to the show again. Register on the website and enter promo code RADIO for six months of free podcasts. And we thank you for listening.